Turn with me to the book of Revelation, chapter number four. We're also going to go into chapter five. For some people, me diving into the book of Revelation may be a little bit disappointing because I'm not getting into the things that really intrigue you about the beast and the Antichrist and the number 666. And I'm not pulling out the eschatological chart line of timed events and what's going to actually be happening. And I believe those things may have its place in time, but I think sometimes we miss the overarching message that God has for us in the book of Revelation. And I'm going to start reading with verse number eight of chapter four. Day after day and night after night, they keep on saying, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God, the Almighty, the one who always was, who is, and who is still to come. Whenever the living beings give glory and honor and thanks to the one sitting on the throne, the one who lives forever and ever, the 24 elders fall down and worship the one sitting on the throne, the one who lives forever and ever. And they lay their crowns before the throne and say, you are worthy, O Lord our God, to receive glory and honor and power, for you created all things and they exist because you created what you please. Hear me on this. If you have ever been there like me, where sometimes I feel like I'm not worth anything and that I'm a failure and that, and in those moments, I've got to stop and remind myself of who I am in Christ and that God created me and is pleased with me. Now, I can choose to do some things that he's not pleased with, but he's still pleased that he created me. He still loves me. Come on, you got to remind yourself of that at times. Chapter five and verse one. Then I saw a scroll in the right hand of the one who was sitting on the throne. There was writing on the inside and the outside of the scroll, and it was sealed with seven seals. And I saw a strong angel who shouted with a loud voice, who is worthy to break the seals on this scroll and open it? But no one in heaven or on earth or under the earth was able to open the scroll and read it. Then I began to weep bitterly because no one was found worthy to open the scroll and read it. But one of the 24 elders said to me, stop weeping. Look, the line of the tribe of Judah, the heir to David's throne, has won the victory. He is worthy to open the scroll and its seven seals. Then I saw a lamb that looked as if it had been slaughtered. But it was now standing between the throne and the four living beasts and among the 24 elders. He had seven horns and seven eyes, which represents the sevenfold spirit of God that is sent out into every part of the earth. He stepped forward and took the scroll from the right hand of the one sitting on the throne. And when he took the scroll, the four living beings and the 24 elders fell down before the lamb. Each one had a harp, and they held gold bowls filled with incense, I like this, which are the prayers of God's people. Ooh. 
and they sang a new song with these words. You are worthy to take the scroll and to break its seals and open it. For you were slaughtered and your blood has ransomed people for God from every tribe and language and people and nation. And you have caused them to become a kingdom of priests for our God, and they will reign on the earth. Somebody say amen to the reading of God's word. Elon Sharon, I'm so glad to see you. And I'm telling you what, I'm excited about the church plant in Lawton, Oklahoma. It's going to be happening. And some of your team that's with you today, all right, we're going to be praying for you as a church and helping you along this journey the best we can. You got it? All right. Father God, we thank you for your goodness and your grace and your abundance in our life. Teach us about worship today. Teach us about the ultimate reality that is found in you around your throne. I pray this in your name, be it done. And everybody said, amen. You may be seated. Pull up some information this week about our universe. Our universe is measured by scientists, however they do that. The diameter of our universe is 93 billion billion light years, light years from one side to the other diameter, 93 billion light years. Now just put that into perspective that the speed of light is what? 186,000 plus miles per second. Do you realize the earth that is so insignificant in the greater scheme of things. It is nothing that is spinning on its axis in the middle of seemingly nothingness with a gravitational pull from a sun that supposedly is holding us into place. That the circumference of the earth is just under 25,000 miles. So that means the speed of light can go around the earth seven times one second, one second, because of that speed. And to think that the scope of our universe is 93 billion light, get this, years, not seconds, not minutes, not months, years. If that just, take that in for just a moment. Take in the enormity, and yet we are a speck in all of that. And there is a God that definitely knows that we're here because he placed us here. He himself breathed into our nostrils the breath of life. And he himself gave his son to die on a cross for you and me. If you believe this word, it should humble you. It should knock you on your face and worship to God and realize how insignificant we are and how much we need God in our life. You see, Revelation speaks to an ultimate reality. Henceforth, the title of my message. The essence of life and the ultimate reality that is in worship. You see, throughout this Bible, it speaks to that we cannot, we, we sense 
And we feel the reality that we know through our senses, through our sight, through our smell, through our touch, through what we observe. But there are other dimensions, that there are other realities that we cannot wrap our mind around. And Revelation gives us sneak peek into the ultimate reality that we're someday going to experience. And in that is the reality of worship. And I need to define what worship is so that we can get clarity on that because there's a lot of different ideas of what it means to worship. But worship, by my definition, is simply this. Worship is that place where deep respect, adoration, and honor to God is given. It's that place. It can be any place. So sometimes we think of like we came to a worship service or we, a worship experience. And so for us, that means that we check the box on some songs that we sung and we heard somebody preach the word and that is a worship experience, which it can be, but it might not be. For some that gather here today, it might not be a worship experience. It may have just been a checklist of things to do that we called worship. But do you realize that worship is what's done unto God with deep respect and adoration and honor to him? So do you realize that worship goes beyond a few songs? It goes in the morning when you get up and you dress yourself and you go to work. And on your way to work, are you bringing worship to God? And I'm not talking about playing Hillsong and you're lifting your hands as you're driving down the road or giving one hand as you're driving down the road. I'm talking about when you show up to work. Do you teach people? Do you love people with integrity, with respect, and with honor? Do you do your job the best way you possibly can, bringing honor to God? If you do, you know what you're doing? You're worshiping God. When you go to school, if you honor your teachers and you're doing things with respect and you're giving your best in school, whether you're a 10th grader, whether you're in college, whatever the situation is, you're bringing worship unto God. Worship's how we conduct ourselves every day as a follower of Jesus Christ. Jesus said these words. He says, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is what? In heaven. You ever, you, have you ever heard of the statement that you have a little heaven on earth? Heaven on earth, can we do that? Can we do that? Yes. Any place where God is being honored and glorified and recognized and we're living toward achieving the purposes and plans he has for life, you know what happened? Heaven on earth is happening. Next week, I'm going to dive into it and prepare yourself. I'm going to talk about the ultimate reunion. And the ultimate reunion is what we're looking forward to someday because we get sneaks and peaks of heaven visiting us right now when we obey God and trust him and walk in his promises and we see the miracles of God and the hand of God. But there is coming a day when there is going to be a reunion of heaven and earth again. And he's going to set up his reign with the new heaven and the new earth. And we'll dive into that. Ah, thy kingdom come, thy will be done. In heaven, it's happening all the time. On earth, it happens sometimes when his people choose to align themselves with his plan. So I'm going to dive dive into worship, and I'm going to talk about the need to worship, the way to worship, and the focus to worship. So first off, let's talk about the need to worship. You see, Maslow's five levels of human need. There's a physiological, which is our need for food, water, drink, clothing, uh, shelter, There's safety and security is also part of that. There's belonging and love. There's esteem and self-actualization. But do you realize that Jesus kind of communicated clearly in Matthew chapter number six? He said, well, my heavenly father knows you have need of all of those things. Those things are really 
on the peripheral. Because Jesus said, you know, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all of these other things will be added into you. You know what Jesus is saying? If you keep the main thing, the main thing, the other things will fall into place. In other words, if you begin to put me first in your life, and the Father, he says this, your Father knows, above knows you have need of all of those things. You need water, you need food, you need clothing, you, you need shelter, you need all those things. But if you put me first, all those other things will fall into place. Jesus wants you to know that. You see, the book of Revelation makes it very clear that everything is worshiping something. It gives us an image of the angels worshiping. People, the 24 elders represents the people. It represents all of us that are worshiping. The living beings that you see and kind of floating around, all this stuff, that represents all of creation that is worshiping. Do you realize it says in the word that the rocks and the trees will cry out if you and I don't? It's speaking to everything is going to worship something. The question is, who are you worshiping? See, someone said, and this was back in the 1500s, a philosopher said that you can really tell what a culture is worshiping and what a city is worshiping by going and finding the largest places where people gather. Now think about that for us here in the United States. What are our largest gathering points? Think about Oklahoma City and this metro area and outside of here in Oklahoma. What is it? You can go to Paycom Center, downtown Oklahoma City, where you have one of the, the largest gathering place in Oklahoma City. You can go south of here to Norman. You can find the largest gathering point in the entire state of Oklahoma where they worship a pigskin and players that are in their you know, 18 through 21 years of age run up and down the field in spandex. You can go up to Stillwater and find the same thing with just a, about 60,000 plus. And you got, well, what is it that we worship then if that is true? It's the largest gathering points and places. In each of us is a gravitational pull to worship something that is greater than ourselves. We want to worship something that's super, super. And so therefore we have super models that we worship. And we might not call it worship, but really when it boils down to, when you get, it becomes that. And so young men look at these sexual icons and then they stare at them hours on end. Young ladies stare at them wanting to be like them. And then we have the bodybuilders, super bodybuilders that we stare at, that we long to be like. And we say, oh, if I could just be, if I just had those genetics. Then we have people that are super accomplished and super smart that build companies and do things. And we look at that and say, wow, to be like that. And they become worshiped. We have super athletes that we look to. Oh man, we want to be like, and so we have these individuals that have played millions of dollars that succeed, that we inside internally wish we could be. And so therefore we can't be that. So we live out the reality through them. And so we listen to sports talk radio all week and then we know all the numbers and the details and what's happening and who's in the injured reserve and who's in our fantasy leagues and all this stuff. And then we walk all the way up to Saturday or Sunday and we gather the food and we sit around and we want nothing to distract us because we are locked in to watch these super athletes. How about the super rich and famous, the celebrities? Oh, I mean, magazines and Instagrams and stuff just make tons off of us wanting to have these super celebrities 
and know everything we possibly can gather about them. And so like a queen, and there's a marriage going on between royalty, all of a sudden billions of people around the world are turning their attention and watching that. You go to Instagram and you go to the different type of social media platforms. Who is it that is attracting more people than anyone else? The millions and millions of followers. It's the rich, the famous, it's the beautiful, it's the celebrities. Because inside of us, there's this gravitational pull to have something and want something that's greater than what we are experiencing and the reality that we are in. How about the super entertainers and the creative and so we will listen to the music again and again and again and again. All of a sudden, that band or that group is coming to a city near us. And so we make sure that we get those tickets and we go in and we gather in there and we rehearse those songs that we know many times, we hear all the time, we don't need to be there, but yet we're gathered now with an audience of a whole bunch of other worshipers to lift up the songs and begin to just shout. Now, I'm not against all that stuff. And I don't think God is against all that stuff. But we got to stop and realize all of us are worshiping something, but who is it and what is it that we're worshiping? And in Revelation, from chapter four on, it's talking about worship. In fact, you go back to chapter one, John the beloved is on the day of the, the Lord's day. He has this encounter with Jesus and he falls prostrate. He's worshiping God there. But throughout the book of Revelation, either you're worshiping the lamb that's on the throne or you're worshiping the beast. There's no in-between. In Philippians chapter two, it says that there will come a day when every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. And I used to think that that day would come and that means that those who refuse to worship Jesus would be all of a sudden knocked to the ground and literally forced to, but I don't believe that's the case anymore. What I believe the reality is gonna be is that when they really are in the presence of the omniscient, the all-powerful, the beauty, the splendor, the glory of God, every person is going to realize what they missed out here on the earth, and they are going to proclaim him as King of kings and Lord of lords by their own will. Again and again throughout the Bible, God is saying, worship me, praise me. Why is that? Is that one because God just has this needy personality and he needs our praise and worship? No, it's because we need to worship him. We, we got Christmas coming on in our house. There are tons of packages coming to our doorstep every day. These brown boxes, these paper wrapped things are showing up at our door by, by, the, by the millions. <laughs> Maybe slightly, slightly exaggerated. And all of them, but maybe one out of every 100,000 has Shannon's name on it. And then there'll be mine with one my name on it. And who are all these gifts? Come, matter of fact, this week we were gone for a couple of days. And we're like, Shannon's having to call somebody. Hey, could you go over to our house and like take in all the packages on the front porch and bring them inside? Who do you think all of these gifts are for? Yeah, they're for our kids a little bit, but they're really for our grandkids. <laughs> and I'm telling you, our grandkids don't need one of them. There's not one of those that they like need, that they have to have, that they must like have to, for their survival and their joy and their fulfillment in life. There is not one of them, folks, I'm telling you. And they're gonna get those prizes and then they're gonna open them up and there's gifts and then they're gonna go play with the empty boxes. 
And they're going to take those prizes and they're going to go in and be thrown into a closet when they get to their house back home and they're going to be left there because they really don't need them. You know who needs to give the gifts? It's mom, it's, it's, it's Tutu and it's uh, Gigi. It's the grandma and grandpa that need to give those things. And let me tell you, when it comes to your worship, it's not that God needs your worship. It's not he's sitting around saying, could they please worship me today? No, no. He knows that you need to worship him. Because he knows that if you do not worship him, you will wither away because you're designed to worship something. The question is, what are you worshiping? Hopefully you're worshiping the living God who sits on the throne, the Lamb of God. Which brings me to the second thought is the way to worship. Pastor Sampson, I've never witnessed this in person in the same room with him, but I've heard that it's true and I've actually had confirmation from multiple people and saw one little video clip. Pastor Sampson, if you've been around long, he preaches quite often and when he does, people always brag about you know, how just caring and compassionate and wonderful communicator of the word of God he is. And, but these words that caring and compassionate always get under my skin because no one ever says that about me. <laughs> and then, but I want you to know the other side of Pastor Sampson. When he steps into his living room and there is a Dallas Cowboy football game going on, the dark side of him comes out. I got got video evidence of him standing from a screen and screaming at football players, screaming at referees, screaming at them. I just want you to know that that's the real Samson. Why is that? Because all of us get emotionally engaged with something, don't we? All of us do. Every one of us. And what you are most emotionally involved with is what you are probably worshiping. Now, I'm not here to throw Pastor Sampson under the bus because what I know about Pastor Sampson is that he actually is more emotionally engaged with his Lord and Savior Jesus than he is the Dallas Cowboys. And that the Dallas Cowboys take a back burner to when he needs to be worshiping God and with the people of God. I know that for a fact. Some people tell me, well, pastor, I'm not that emotional. I'm not asking you to compare yourself with Pastor Sampson or myself or anyone else when it comes to your emotional uh, stage, when it comes to worshiping, okay? What I'm asking you to do is compare yourself to yourself. Is there anything else that you are more emotionally engaged with than your heavenly father and Jesus Christ? Then there's a problem with your worship. It means you're worshiping something else. If you're more emotionally engaged in your work, there's a problem. If you're more emotionally engaged with a relationship, there's a problem. If you're more emotionally, emotionally engaged in your hobby and your activities, then there is a problem with your worship. In the book of Revelation, it speaks to the people worshiping again and again. And it, it uses different things. With their voices they worshiped. With their obedience they worshiped. They fell on their face before God in worship. With musical instruments they worshiped. With their prayers they worshiped. Jesus said to the woman at the well in John chapter 4, he said, God is spirit and those that worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. What does that mean? What does, what does that mean in spirit and in truth? Anybody here, you see somebody, they got the Christmas spirit. Anybody? 
Christmas spirit. What does that mean to you? Maybe it means that they're wearing Christmas colors and maybe bells on their little sweater, or then they're walking around singing the songs or giving the gifts. They seem to have that. They've got that Christmas spirit. And Jesus is saying this, that you worship me in spirit. That means that you're going to have an attitude that's focused on me. You will get the rest of the world, the peripheral on the side, but you are laser focused on bringing glory to my name first and foremost. And then in truth, what does that mean? Have you ever been with somebody and they're just emotionally excited as you are, but they have no clue what's going on? (laughs) What they're doing is they're just riding the wave with you. You get excited, they get excited, but they have no truth. And with God, there's people that do that. There's people that show up every single week at North Church and they're kind of emotionally engaged and they're worshiping, but they're just kind of riding the wave of emotion of other people. You have to find a place in God where you understand what you are worshiping and who you are worshiping and what he has done for you. Or it becomes formality. It just becomes religious activity. It's not a relationship with God. Verse number 11 says, You are worthy, O Lord, to receive glory and honor and power. For you created all things, and they exist because you created what you pleased. You know what he's saying here? He said, You must know what you are worshiping and why you are worshiping. Another key thing here in the book of Revelation, chapter 5, is the word worthy. Worthy is mentioned again and again and again. And the English word for worship comes from an old term called worth-ship. W-O-R-T-H, worth-ship, which is an economic term. And Jesus gives a parable in the book of Matthew, chapter 13. It's just a one-verse one parable. He said there was a man who found a treasure on a piece of property. And when he found that treasure that was worth millions, he buried that treasure. He went back. He sold everything that he owned, everything. And he went back and used that money and he bought that property. And Jesus is saying, when you realize your worth, the, how worthy I am, you will leave everything to follow me. You will walk away from relationships. Here's the problem. I see people that walk away from Jesus for a relationship. They walk away from Jesus for a job. They walk away from Jesus to get more money or to get more fame or to get this or to get that. We've got to be willing to lay it all on the line and say, you know what? What I want is Jesus more than it. There's a song that we used to sing, take this whole world, but give me Jesus. It means that I will walk away from a relationship to get Jesus. I will walk away from the education to get Jesus. I will walk away from that business deal to get Jesus. I will walk away from that to get more of Jesus. That's what worship is all about. And when you do, when you can really look at Jesus as being worthy of everything, you will lay down your crowns. And what does that mean? We read that in chapter four. They laid down their crowns. It means you lay down anything that seems significant to you and the accomplishments you have because you realize that it is dung before God. Anybody listening? And then you will also release control when he is worthy. And it is a hard one for me, and it's probably a hard one for everybody else in here because all of us want to control something. We want to control relationships, our kids, our parents. We want to control our education, our teachers. We want to control our health. We want to control. And if you live your life trying to control like all of us have a tendency to do, you will end up anxious, worried, depressed, and joyless. 
And what you have to do is give it over to the one who actually controls everything, the one who controls this universe, the one who controls this earth floating in the middle of nothing and controls the gravitational pull and the seasons of life. And you got to give it all over to him and say, you know what? I trust you more than I trust me. And I give you complete control of my life and I let you control my life. I don't want to control it anymore. That's worship. And when you do that, you know what will happen? Your personal sense of worth will rise to another level. And I'm not talking about a worth that's filled with pride. I'm talking about a worth that realizes who you are in Christ Jesus. Because when you recognize his worthiness and you surrender everything to him, you will begin to rise up inside of you and realize, I'm a child of God. I'm joint heirs with the king of kings. It doesn't matter what happens in my life. And you can take my job, but I've got Jesus. You can take a relationship, but I've got Jesus. You can take my money, but I've got Jesus. You can take my health, but I've got Jesus. And that's what matters most. Which brings me to the last thought. We talked about the need to worship. We talked about the way to worship, but now the focus of worship. You see, some say it doesn't matter what you worship as long as you are sincere. Really? Let's take that with food. Come on, can you really say I can eat whatever I want as long as I'm sincere about what I eat? Come on, just, just pick up your Twinkies and Ding Dongs and eat them only that breakfast, lunch, and dinner, and drink your Coca-Cola for the next three months, and let's see what that does for your body. No, no. And you take it to the far extreme. How about just poison? Just poison that would kill you and drink it. I'm just going to drink this. It doesn't matter as long as I'm sincere about what I drink. That's stupidity. How much more with what we believe and who we're worshiping? You see, it's not enough to worship just anything. You must worship the right thing. The Bible says that there is only one to worship, the one who sits on the throne, the lamb that was slain. He is the one to worship. I was with a group of pastors on the East Coast this past week in Hilton Head, and with these 30 or so pastors, and I say pastors, actually only about six of us were pastors of a local church. The others were kind of leaders over groups of churches and helping plant churches. And I was talking to this one guy and he said that, uh, yeah, he's been so busy lately. He hasn't been to church in three months. I said, three months, what do you mean? I thought maybe he's saying I had COVID sick and had been out and maybe his wife had COVID and you know how that goes because we've been there, right? And you, by the time it's weeks, you've been out of connection with people. He says, no, my, my, my uh, daughter is 14 now and there's She's competitive softball, and they travel, and they've been in this city, I've been in this city, I've been around, and we've been going here and there and everywhere. And I said, you haven't been in church in three months? And here's a guy planting churches and helping other groups of people plant churches. And I just said to him, I said, that's not good. He got my point and wanted to change the topic, <laughs> in which I led him, and we went on, but I wanted to drive home that point. And I'm not against sports. No, 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 no. I love to play my sports, and I played them at a high level. And then I have kids that played at the highest of level. You can play pretty much on the high school and then the, even the collegiate level. So I'm not against it. But I'm against those things taking priority over the house of God and the things of God. 
And that's the things that we've got to stop and evaluate. And you've got to work out your own self. I understand that. But sometimes I think we can value some things and all of a sudden they begin to see what we value and it's going to change their trajectory and what they're really worshiping and what they're giving themselves to. We've got to stop and reevaluate things and realize that we've got to put him first, him who's on the throne. Come on, sports, money, activities, celebrities, they're not going to be on the throne. It's Jesus Christ. He is the one that's on the throne. He ought to be the focus. In Revelation chapter number five, it says that there were several people that tried to open the seal, the unlocked secret to all of this. It's interesting. It says that a strong angel, it starts with a strong angel, but then it says that everything in heaven and on earth and under the earth tried to open it and nothing happened. And it says that John the beloved began to weep, weep. And then one of the 24 elders, which was one of the redeemed of the Lord, came over and tapped him on the shoulder. And he said, but there's one. There's one. I I was thinking about this in regards to if somebody had $10 million that an aunt left and you had 10 family members that this $10 million is going to go to. And the lawyer comes in and reads off the requirements. And somebody in the room, just one person had to meet those requirements. But none of them could met that requirement. You begin to weep, right? But with God's word, do you realize that there had to be a requirement that had to be met for that person to open the seals in heaven? And then when that person met that requirement, that person had to lay down his life. And that person did. And that person's name is Jesus Christ. I'm talking about Jesus, folks. The one who stepped out of eternity and stepped into time. He was born of a virgin named Mary. And he, with a husband named, or she with a husband named Joseph that was totally confused, didn't know what all this meant. All they know is they had a vision from God and a promise from heaven. And so they gave themselves willingly to the plans that God had for them. But Jesus grew, born in a manger, grew up as a carpenter's son. And then at 12 years of age, it says that he grew in favor and stature with God and with man. And then he grew up tempted at all points, just like you and just like me, yet he did not bow down to temptation. He lived a sinless life. And he found himself in a garden called Gethsemane. And there, when he is asked to drink of the cup, that cup was the sins of humanity. It was the death on the cross. He said, Father, please let this cup pass from me, but yet not my will, let your will be done. And he drank of that cup. And when he drunk of that cup, he drunk upon him the damnation of the world, the sins of all mankind. And he was brutally slaughtered. Just like it says here that a lamb slaughtered, he was brutally slaughtered. A crown of thorns was placed on his head. His beard was plucked out. He was nailed to a tree with, with nails through his wrist and through his hands, feet. A sword was shoved up his side. He was before then had beat with a cat of nine tails, 39 lashes as it would rip the flesh off of him down to the bones. He was mocked. He was spit upon. He hung between heaven and earth. And then his last words were, it is finished. He met the qualification. He did what was needed to be done. He did what was expected of him. And he was the only one that could do that.
let, let me just say something. When it comes to the rules of life, Jesus said there's two of them. He said two of them. He said all of the rules, all 613 of the Old Testament hinge on two things. And number one is to love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your mind, all your soul, and all your strength. And he said the second is likened to it, which is this. It's to love your neighbor as your what? Self. And do you realize people have come and gone over the years and people have tried to do that and none of them have done that. And today we say we love God with all our heart, soul, and mind, but none of us have actually done that. We've, we've, none, of, none of us have done that. No, no, there's days and moments that I've had a glimpse of glory and I maybe have done that, but there's been many other times that I have fallen woefully short of being able to do that because I couldn't. And when it comes to loving that neighbor thing, oh, no, 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 I fall way short of that. Come on, I've had trouble with forgiveness. I've trouble, had trouble with praying for those who have been mistreating me. I've had trouble loving those that are my enemies. I've had trouble to do that. But there was one, there was one who actually did that, and his name is Jesus Christ. And that's what made him worthy, and that's what made him require, that's what made him who he was. And so when he said it is finished, he had done everything that was required of him, but it wasn't finished. Because three days later, he had to honor his promise. And that was to prove who he said he was. And everything hinges upon that revelation that Jesus is a resurrected king. Not just a good man who died and gave good teachings, but a man who was actually God. And at the end of those three days, he kicked out the end of a grave, victorious over death and hell. And that's our hope today. It's in Jesus. But what are you doing with that? And who are you worshiping? And what are you worshiping? I'm not talking about words that you say. I'm talking about the lifestyle you live. Faith without works is dead. Eyes closed and no one looking around. From Guthrie, from Freedom House, from Lexington, Oklahoma City, and wherever you gathered. Who are you worshiping? Jesus, I pray right now that we fall before you and confess you as Lord of our life. We ask for forgiveness of our sins. You stand at the door and knock right now. Revelation 3, 20 says that you stand at the door and knock and that if any man, woman, teenager, child will open, you will come in and live with them. You said you will dine. You will eat with them. You will share life with them. Holy Spirit, convict us of our sin. And may we surrender to you and follow after you, confessing our sins, making you Lord of our life. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Amen.